0: Welcome to The No Podcast with me, Nikki Spoh. Monica Mendez is an artist and a mother of three adult children who lives in Miami, Florida. Monica has been an instrumental figure in my personal growth, and though we are years apart in age, we have faced very similar obstacles throughout our lives. I have always looked to Monica for guidance and encouragement, and I have been inspired by her tenacity. Monica has shown me what it looks like to step into your personal knowing in order to fulfill your dreams. While following her husband around the globe and raising their three children, Monica was unable to develop her own sense of identity. It wasn't until her late 50s that Monica endeavored to pursue a fine art program at the Academy of Art in San Francisco. Three years later, she opened her own art studio. What started out as an adventure in self-discovery ended up in her having exhibitions all over the world. Monica shows women everywhere that it's never too late to reinvent yourself. I'm so excited for you to hear about her journey today.
1: Hi, Monica. Hi, Nikki. How are you? So pleased to be here with you.
2: Oh, I'm so happy you're here. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to chat with
1: me. It's really a pleasure.
2: Awesome. So considering the length of time that we've known each other, I think it's safe to say that we have each seen each other grow through various stages of our lives. And so, yes, yeah, when your daughter and I were growing up while you were raising her and your two sons and schlepping Gato and I to cheerleading practice, you know, I always remember you being such a vibrant and confident woman and you loved fitness and you had your own spinning studio Um, set up in the guest quarters of your home, I really always looked up to you and how carefree you were and free spirited. And you and your husband were good friends of both of my parents. And you guys essentially became like second parents to me because I was at your house all the time.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. I felt like you were one of my daughters too. Yes, absolutely. So now seeing that your kids have
2: grown up and they have lives of their own. So I want to talk about what it took for you to get there because these stories, you know, they don't happen overnight. I'm sure that this was not something that was a spur of the moment decision.
1: Yes, absolutely. Can you tell me a little
2: bit about what your early life was like in Brazil and then moving to Peru and eventually
1: Miami? I have to start the conversation saying, talking about a little bit about my background with my mom. And I have to say that, my brothers and I, we had a difficult time while growing up because of my mom's illness. She suffered a lot from depression. And that we were the ones taking care of her, not not the opposite. My mother, you know, was by the time she was having depression, it was years ago, the pills that we have today, they didn't have it. Most important, the the way people look at people in depression was like people, they are, they're crazy. So for us, it was like, we had to take it in secret. It was a secretive thing that it wasn't good at all. It took a while for me to understand that because I was very little. Since I was born, my mom started with the depression. So, And I think it was because of hormones and she never got back to normal. So it was very complicated. I have to say that because everything that comes after has to do with that. After that, I was 22 and I got married. And I had, I think it was six months left, I got married. Six months left till I get my degree in communication in Brazil. Before that, I, I got married. Six months before that. Wow. Yeah. So because we, Gilberto got a, my husband got a job in another city. So we are moving to another city. And I thought, okay, I'm going to keep studying in the, the other city. But when I got the other city, I couldn't do it because it, it would last like two years. And I, I was almost finishing it. Because of the, the curriculum and everything. You,
2: so you and Gilberto got married and then you moved your life to another city and you, you were not able to finish your degree.
1: Exactly. So I waited a, a year and went back to my city to finish my degree. I had to study only my six, six months. So I was pregnant from Leo. <laughs> Already pregnant. And I, I remember the day of my graduation at a belly, a huge belly. <laughs> And by the time uh, Leo was born, when well, he was 15 days old, we are already in another city. And when my second daughter, Carolina, was born, Leo was 18 months. And we were living in another city again.
2: In your early adulthood life, where you're, you're newly married, a new mother, you're in your 20s, early 20s, not late
1: 20s. Yeah, absolutely. And then after that, we moved to Peru, where Felipe was born. So we spent three years there. And then after Peru, we came to Miami and, you know, uh, life of an immigrant is not easy. First of all, I didn't speak the language. I had three kids already that need me because I didn't have anybody. I didn't knew anyone. So it was very, my husband's work was super demanding. He used to work day and night, weekends, everything, because the company was just starting. So, I I couldn't even think about anything else. <laughs> it wasn't possible.
2: So you were just in the throes of being um, a full-time mom, living, adjusting to a new country, not a new, just a new city. Like when you were in Brazil, a new city, or even in South America, you were in Peru. Okay, but you're now adjusting to life in a new city, um, a new country with three small babies, all what under five years old.
1: Exactly, all the five years old, Leo. Yeah.
2: So, okay. So your husband's career was at the forefront for many years because by the time I met you, what Carolina must've been, the first time we met, I think Caro and I were about five years old and the Warriors cheerleading program. And then we became friends later on in middle school. But I mean, you think about that time frame from when you moved to Miami with your family. And then when I met your daughter, not that much time had passed. I We must've been five years old. So at this point in time, your husband's career, and for as long as I had known you, was at the forefront for all these years. And you took on the role of raising your children and running your household. Yeah. And so as a mom now, like me as a mother, in a similar position, you know, I'm not in a new country. And I, this is, I am actually, I'm in my hometown, which brings a tremendous amount of comfort. You know, I have resources here. I know people, I have my, my parents here, but in a similar position in that, like my husband travels all the time. Right, I'm alone a lot with my kids, and I have to make swift decisions, and I have to, you know, try to keep them in the loop, and and you know, the, the balance can be really complex. On one hand, it's comforting to have, you know, the financial security to be able to stay home with the kids. There's a lot of people, mothers, who wish that they could stay home with their children, and on the other hand, it can also feel like your partner is out there on an adventure. Yes, they're working and providing for your family, and. But in that, like the motherhood can feel really, really isolating.
1: Absolutely, Nikki. What was
2: your experience with that?
1: I felt for many years that conflicted situation. Of one hand, I want to I stay home. I want to be with the kids. Because if, if there is one thing that I absolutely had always should in my life, it was that I was going to, I, I, I want to be a mom. I remember me saying to my mom, that I don't know if I was going to get married. I don't care about getting married. But I knew I was going to have kids. She was crazy. That age, that, that time saying that was crazy. But I was sure about that. That I was absolutely sure. So as much as I love being a mom, I mean, I knew that, that by that time too. I just didn't know how, but I knew by that time too. But I want to do other things too. I'm not only a mom, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a whole person. I didn't have time. To do this, my husband career was really demanding, as I said, and also, and I think this is very important. I didn't know how to deal with that because my my childhood was complicated because of my mom. We didn't have like a voice, if you know what I mean. It's like, it was like taking care of her, taking care of her, and 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 to hide from the people that she was crazy kind. Of, you know, that's what people used to think, and us too.
2: You know, I think we're uniquely positioned. Our stories are so interesting, your story and and mine. You know, because as you know, I I have a really difficult and strained relationship with my mother as well. And what's what's wild about the whole thing is like a lot of people didn't know how bad things were at home for me. And I think as an outsider, you can even attest to that. Like you might have known that there were some problems, right? But you never really know what's going on fully behind closed doors, you know? And it wasn't until years later... That you and I sat and got to talk about it, but that was really difficult. I mean, I mean, what I'm hearing you say is that, like, when you don't have a role model where you can, like, talk about real life things and how to cope, like, I had a really difficult transition into motherhood because I remember being deathly afraid of being a mom, you know, because I didn't know, like, I didn't really have a good guide or an, an example of, like, what life, how you could live a fulfilling life as a human being, as a woman, and be a mother. Like, I still, my mom lose herself and it sounds like you experienced something really similar so when you're a new mom and you're like itching for something I want to do something with my life I'm so passionate I'm such a passionate person which I know that you are but you don't know how to put it together exactly where to do how to make it work and you're kids
1: yeah I didn't even know how to start where to go ask who do what? Oh my God! But they don't have nobody to build the kids, and that's also the responsibility that women used to feel about the kids. Where like we are the responsible ones. The father's not. So it was my job, my job, my job. So it was too difficult for me to even think about doing other things. Right.
2: I mean, and that you know, it's amazing because like what I'm, I'm 34 years old and your daughter and I are the same age. So it wasn't that long ago. Right. But things are changing slowly, but surely things are changing. Fathers are starting to take paternity leave. They're taking time off from work. They're saying, no, I need to be with my family. Now during the pandemic, it's like really raised a whole another, a whole other level of awareness, even about the role of Parents in the home and providers in the home, caretaking in the home. So it's really nice to see that that's happening. But I definitely can see how you're like, what you're saying is like 30 years ago, that wasn't the case. Like women, because we still face it today, right? Like still carry the mental load. I know what my son eats for breakfast. I know what he, like, I know what time he went to the bathroom and whether he's going to go to the bathroom at school today or not. And I know what he needs, you know? And those are things that I think mothers carry a lot.
1: Exactly. I mean, if you work, you're still going to be a mother. One thing doesn't take the other.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Whereas I think, you know, and, and each family is organized differently, right? Like there's now you're seeing a lot of stay-at-home fathers too. And like the mothers are going out into the workforce and they're they're becoming the breadwinners for their family. And that's, that's awesome. And it's not to say like which one is better, right? It's just like seeing how things adapt and change over time and also realizing that that wasn't the case when you were raising children. You were the person who was most responsible in your home. You know what, Monica, I feel like there are, are still so many moms right now that are in that space that they're so passionate and they just don't know what the next right step is or like how to do that. And, you know, think about like your mom with her depression. It's like, now we're talking about the reality that like, we can talk about mental illness or, you know, mental health and we can start to get help. Now, women are openly talking about postpartum depression, which is a huge thing. I personally experienced that, and it's so hard. And especially if you're, if you're on your own. So, I want to know did you always know, like, because you've been passionate your whole life and you've been highly creative, but did you always know that you wanted to be an
1: artist? I, I always loved art, loved because I've watching my mom, my aunt, my grandma painting my whole life. My mom was even doing art thera- therapy. For her illness. Yeah. So, yeah, I loved it. I loved, I loved, I loved, I loved. But I didn't know, I thought I didn't have the the talent. I couldn't do it. You know, my self-esteem wasn't, you know, as much as I am. I was always a positive person. I was trying to do something to, you know, but inside I was like hiding for myself. You know, the thing that you learn how to hide things when you're a kid. And then you, you keep hiding something from you inside from from people and from you yourself, I think that is so
2: powerful. The fact that we learn how to hide things from our own self, exactly.
1: Why? Because by the time my mom was having problem with her, her illness, we are the ones taking care of her, and my dad was working like crazy. He was workaholic. <laughs> and he had to. Then he had to. So of course we had we had a lot of help. My my aunt and my grandma. Thanks God, if it wasn't for them, I don't know what's going to be for, of us. But uh, what I mean is, it was a secret. It was a secret because it was something bad going on with my mom. We didn't know what was it. We were the ones taking care of her and we didn't know how to take care of her. We did what we could. Because of that, we didn't were looking to ourselves. We didn't have anyone, what do you want to do in your life when you grow up? No, nothing of that. The only thing I knew is that I had to be a good student because if I'm not, my mom was going to be sad and he thinks it's going to be worse. So I had to please her all the time. And you grow up, like, it's not that I didn't know, but it's hard to figure out how to left that thing, you know, the thing that you don't like that bothers you so much and you don't know how to deal with that.
2: And sometimes you can't. like identify what exactly it is yes Mm -hmm. absolutely personally i feel like i man monica i grew up and i had so much anger in my heart i had so much anger in my heart and i like couldn't point where it came from why you know and it wasn't much much later that i started doing the work that i was able to see okay i didn't this this is why you know and Fortunately for, for me, I think like you got to see how much I loved dance and cheerleading and I was becoming, you got to see that and how dedicated I was. And I did have that outlet, but it was almost like I, I personally craved that outlet because I, like I needed to put all that energy somewhere, like all that, whether it was anger or sadness or fear, I needed to put it somewhere. And so, but it's really interesting when you say that like you couldn't, you didn't even have the time or the space or the, like the sense of awareness. To be introspective and like look within to even understand your likes. Like, what do I even like? What can I pursue? Like, oh, I like art. I'm not that talented, though. Can I still pursue it?
1: And, and even because when the times, the few times that I look inside, only sad, I wanna, I wanna hide from it. I didn't wanna face that. Sadness. Sadness, yes. Only thing that I could feel and see was sadness. Why would you
2: continue to look inside when it's just, it's all the ugly stuff?
1: So I kept going on with my life and, and being positive, trying to be positive. But I knew inside was that sadness that I couldn't deal with. I didn't know how.
2: So you coped, and so you got married, and you, who you love your husband, like you've I've always known you to be very much in love with Roberto. You had your children three and then you started going, going, going. You moved, moved again. You had another baby. You moved to the states, and now you're in motherhood by yourself. And so this brings me to the next thing. I remember. A few years ago, and I think it was in the first year of of my marriage, I was starting to experience a sort of identity crisis of my own. Like, because all of a sudden I became Eric Spolstra's wife, the the former heat dancer. And it's like, I had this label. That was my label. And a lot of my previous accomplishments or desires, like I didn't even get to look into those things, you know, or they were completely ignored. And I remember feeling like the good things that I had done, they didn't matter. And I remember talking on the phone to your daughter, to about this. And I was like, I don't know what's going on with me. You know, like, I just feel like I'm, I don't know what my purpose is. I'm really confused. She's like, you know what? You should go talk to my mom. And that's when I, you know, I I was kind of like, really, you think she would talk to me about all these things? And she was like, yeah, I think, I really think that you need to talk to her like, like soon. (laughs) (laughs) That's when I went to your house. And so do you remember that day?
1: Absolutely. Yes. Like it was
2: yesterday. Yes, man. I feel like that changed. A trajectory for me. It changed a course for me. And there were like some really big defining moments in my life of people that had, have come into my life and changed the course. And being that I had a rough relationship with my mom, I think I felt like this was the first time that I was like mothered where you saw me, you know, like I sat there and I felt seen by a motherly figure I get emotional thinking about it, but that conversation really changed me. You got into the specifics about why you later moved out to San Francisco to study art and how you just knew that it was something that you had to do. So can you can you recall that time in your life for us and share what it was like for you to make that huge decision?
1: It was a very painful time of my life, very much, because... I knew I had to do something. As you said, I, I also felt like I, my life was my husband's life. It wasn't my own life. His friends, were, the friends were his friends that he was bringing from the world. Of course, I got friends of them, of, of course, and they are today my, I have my one of the, my best friends, two or three of my best friends are from that. Uh, it's not that, it's that it was painful for me because I needed to be, to understand myself. It was hard because I, you know, when you don't understand, you 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 tend to put the guilt on people around you. As I said, I couldn't, I didn't want to deal with my my sadness. It was too ugly. It was too painful. So why not say that he was the guilt the guilt one? He wasn't uh, paying attention. to Me, he was working too much. He wasn't um, helping me raise the kids. He wasn't. He wasn't. He really, He really wasn't. But. And
2: that didn't make him bad either. Like he was doing his job and like,
1: right. Exactly, exactly. It, it, it's, it's not that he, and he would say, what do you want? I'm, I'm giving everything. I do everything for you to be happy and he was doing it. The thing, I wasn't, I wasn't. I wasn't doing anything to me because I didn't know what I want. I, I knew I wanted something else. I knew I should do something, but I didn't know how. I wasn't doing anything. And that makes me crazy, crazy.
2: I know. And it's like, you're so angry with yourself that you can only be angry at other people and place the blame on someone else. So it's, your re- it's your fault, right? Like, just like you're saying, like, you're the one who's not here. I'm here by myself.
1: Poor me. First of all, I, I was worried about my marriage, but I was more worried about myself because for my marriage to survive, I had to survive first. Our marriage is it, it made of two people, two people. So. If I couldn't be happy in that, I would better just give up it. And I don't know what's going to be if, if I didn't uh, decide to do what I did. I'm sure the marriage was going was wasn't going to survive.
2: The fact that you have like the awareness to to see that in hindsight, I can only imagine how terrifying that is in the moment because this is something that right. So the identity that you your ide- whole identity was essentially wrapped up in your husband. And his life, and the life you had together in your family.
1: When I think about this now, it's like I was looking for an unconditional type of love. I was looking for my mom's love. A love that I, that I didn't experience. I didn't. It wasn't her fault either. She was ill. My gosh, she was ill. But you know what? It's, a, it's stereotype love. She was ill. She was, she was, she was ill doesn't mean she, she, she couldn't love me. She loved me. And my brothers and sisters, but she couldn't do what is expected from a mom to do. So I didn't have that.
2: And you've had that hole that you've been searching for that love in the outside things, in somebody else, in something. If you, Maybe if you can just do something else with your time, it will fill that hole you're looking for.
1: Totally. Totally.
2: So, so you know, like for me, I, I have that, right? Like I have that, I had that hole, the God sized hole of love that I felt like I did not receive from the universe. And for me as a child of an alcoholic, I, I later, and this is not all children of alcoholics, but like later on, that's what I started to fill my hole with for me, you know? And I was so angry, just like, like, and I was wanted to blame everybody else. And so because the pain was too difficult to deal with, I started to fill it with other things And it's so, it's just so amazing that not, I mean, it's wild that like, here we are, you and I have many years in between us, you know, and our, our journeys are, are parallel in a lot of ways. And I think, you know, this is why hearing from you is so important to me because you took this time, all these years that you were a stay-at-home mom, pursuing different things, you pursued fitness, like we mentioned before. No, but you took this opportunity at in your fifties to turn it around. And so you're like, basically you're saying, okay, if I don't do this for myself, our, our marriage is for sure going to fall apart. Like if I stay this way, our marriage is going to fall apart. At that point, you're like, I'm going to take matters into my whole, own hands.
1: And also, I reward about one thing. I want my kids, I wanted my kids to look at me and see something good for them to take to their lives. I want them... Act, uh, uh, look for examples. That's the the strongest thing in in our life. Examples are the main thing. So I didn't want them to see me as I saw my mom. I want them to take care of themselves, to to know that they could love themselves. And that is enough. When we learn how to love ourselves, respect ourselves, No matter, nobody can take us down. Nobody.
2: And not only that, but like when when you have a level of self-love and self-respect and you really are at peace with yourself, then you are able to better love the other people in your life.
1: I knew I had to do this because of this. I knew it. I knew it. And I've heard so many things by the time I was doing it. I was going to San Francisco, leaving my husband, leaving my kids here. Well, they're not kids anymore. They were doing college and some already finished college. So they're not kids. I I wasn't abandon them. But I've heard so many, oh, your husband's going to, he's going to get another woman. He's going to, you're going to finishing, going to end your marriage. You know what? I don't care. I don't care. It's something that I have to, it's, it's stronger than I am. It has, I have to do it. That time, I remember, I remember
2: when you were making this decision and like, mind you, your daughter's friends, right? We, we see you as this is what we see you. You're Gilberta's wife and you raise the kids. And so when we found out you were moving to San Francisco, we're like, what? She can't do that. How quick are us kids or early adults, young adults, can tell a grown woman whose kids are adults now, you She can't do that. She can't leave. And I remember talking to your daughter and she was like, I can't believe my mom's doing this. What is my dad going to do?
1: And I used to say, Carolina, you are a woman here. You are also a woman. You have to understand me. And she does, you know, and like now,
2: in hindsight, he's so proud of you. It was very confused. I can imagine.
1: Yeah. Really explain everything to them because I was in search of that also. So it was really confused. It was really hard. Very painful.
2: What, how did you, Gilberto handle this? How did your husband handle that? At first and then over time.
1: At first, he was like he was saying that for sure. You, this is a way you you getting a way to to get us separated, to you know get divorced. I know that's gonna come. You're gonna you're gonna be, we're gonna divorce. I know that's what we want. I, I used to say, no, it's not. It's not. I'm just looking for myself. He couldn't understand. He couldn't. He couldn't because he thought he was doing everything that he was to, he was he was supposed to do for his wife. He was. But he couldn't understand inside me. I couldn't understand inside me. I, myself. So how could him? And only I was there already, in San Francisco, the day, because I kept doing therapy by Skype, it was Skype. And one day I just understood that. I said, oh, hello, I can, I have, I am the one who has to, to, To be happy, to to, to be responsible for my happiness. Not everyone else. If I give that to other people, what's going to be from me?
2: So many people make that mistake, especially women, right? Because we give so much. Women, we are nurtured by nature, right? So we give and we give to our children and we give to our spouse or we give to our friends and our parents and we are natural caretakers. And so we put so much of our identities into that. A lot. And then so much so that we are pouring from an empty cup. We don't have anything left over. And then we're mad at everybody else for having depleted us
1: when we were in control of this the whole time. Guilty, 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 guilty all the time. Guilty. When I want to go to San Francisco to study. That was all. We need some time away because I knew here I couldn't do it. It was too much going on. And I couldn't. I I need the time for myself. I need but be alone. Be with me. No new people.
2: You know, Monica. But so a lot of marriages can't withstand that. Yours did. Was there was there a turning point like in Gilberto's visits to to you in San Francisco, at in which like it started to make sense. To everybody, like not just your husband, but like to your kids and maybe your friends even. And listen, not that that like not that everybody else matters. I think we're both on the same page that like this was about you. But obviously you love your children and you love your husband. And I think the goal is to ultimately, hopefully grow together through this part of your life. Right. So was there a turning point in which things started to really make sense to your family?
1: I think when they went visit me, they saw it. They saw they could understand better what I was doing. And I think that this helped a lot. And I was coming Right. And I came to visit too, talking to each other you we're know, far away and everything. It was like clarifying things. You were, you know, they were if I asked them today if I did the right decision, today they're gonna to say, Yes, mom, you did the right decision. It was the the best decision you could do. Can I I don't even imagine myself today with the, the life that I used to have. I I, I can't.
2: Do you feel like, like a light went off inside of you, like you started to like see yourself and feel more at home within yourself?
1: Plus, art is something that's therapeutic also. While I'm doing art, I'm also um, meditating. It's, I get in touch with myself all the time. Art makes me stay in touch with myself, you know? It helps a lot. It's
2: almost like a form of prayer, right? Like you're communicating... You're connecting with yourself and beyond, right? And uh, it offers you also a form of expression. And there's people who are like art therapists that this is like a real thing. And you mentioned that your mom even tried to go down that road at once. And I think it's like, it's interesting that it comes full circle for you and that you're an an artist now. And so fast forward, like now you have had what started as like an adventure, right? I need to go find myself. I need to figure myself out. I need to come to a place of, Knowing this deep knowing. And that's, that's what my podcast is about, is like talking to women like you have, who have taken that leap of faith to come to a sense of deep knowing within themselves, that they've stepped into
1: that. That knowledge about yourself is like freedom. It's freedom. It is. It's
2: like, it's freedom from all of the pain and the suffering of that, of fear, of not like the like there's also like a fear of not living up to your potential, right? When you know, like you knew there was something more for you. And that's not to say that your family wasn't enough. Like is that you knew that there was something inside of you that needed to be fulfilled and you needed to pursue that. And you step into that knowing you knew that this is the next right step for you. And so you forward now and you have these exhibitions as an artist, you have exhibitions in Japan, France, London, Italy, Brazil, and here in Miami too. And so what is it like now that you've come out of that, which seemed to be like a really foggy time of self-discovery, right? I, I can't imagine that it was a straight line out of it now. And you are an artist. Like, this is what you do. What is it like to be an artist? So do you face any challenges being a woman in art?
1: Being an artist has been a great journey for me. I have been enjoying the, every step of the way because I think the best is not get to the point is to enjoy what you're doing because that's what you really like to do. So it doesn't matter if I, I mean, it's being a great, perfect artist or, or not. It doesn't because I'm happy doing what I, I, I found what I, already what I, I, I want. So being an artist is not easy. For a woman it's less easy, it's, it's really complicated because we live in, we still live in a, in a, in a world made from men. It's much better, yes, absolutely, but it still is. So, if you think about it, there is this research paper that says that men sells the price of a painting for a man is double the price for a piece of art from from a woman. So, if you think about, it, that's crazy. It's crazy.
2: I mean, it's across the board, right? Like in almost every industry, you see that. It's just people don't talk about it as overtly. You know, little by little, starting to come out, but. Like people don't, it's again, it's like one of these these secrets that people know about, but don't necessarily talk about. You said something though, that really interested me. You said something about, it's not about like being the best artist or being like the most sought after, or maybe it's maybe not even make about selling something for the highest amount of price, but it's about the process for you. And I, that really makes me think about the fact that like how we as people, but also as women define success. Like what does success mean? Like when we ask parents sometimes, what do you want for your kids? They're like, I want them to be successful. Well, what does that mean? Make a lot of money? Have 20 houses in in all these different cities or be fulfilled doing what you love? You know, like, is it meaning, does it mean having a high earning job or being the CEO of a company? Or does it mean maybe doing something that just simply makes you happy and like you're able to provide and be healthy and keep your family safe and healthy.
1: Of course you have to provide for yourself. You have, you, you need that. You need that to, to provide, of course. But you don't have to be a rich millionaire to be happy. I know so many people that are full of money and are not happy at all. I know other people that doesn't have anything and they're so happy. I mean, we live in a world that tells us to be the same. We have to be the same. We have to be, we are not the same. Come on, every person is one person. Again, if we know ourselves, we get the freedom. You get the freedom. You, 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 you learn how to lead your life, not to be the same as everyone, but to do what you like, what you, satisfies you.
2: Yeah. And like how, what rules work for you? And your family, I can tell you right now, like there's going to be plenty of families that are, that say those, you you cannot move to across the country without me. Those rules don't work for me, you know, but they work for you and you make them, you make them work. It's different. It's different for everybody. So something that you talked about, it's like, you know, so many people who have nothing that are, are truly happy individuals. And so I want to then talk about your body of work. So a lot of your content, you, you do a lot of portraiture. Right, So you do a lot of portraiture, but you also have a stunning collection of um, artworks that feature the favelas of Brazil. And can you tell our listeners what the favelas are and then also why you wanted to, why there's something that you wanted to, to
1: depict? I started doing the portraits because of, it was because of my mom tried so so hard to, to accomplish that. And for me, it was like, I, I, I took that challenge for me. You know, that's why I started doing portraits. And, and also because people, to me, is something very, very strong. I mean, what people do, what people feel, because that was I was in touch with, my, with myself, you know, those kind of things. So looking at a portrait tells me a lot of a person also, just looking at it. So that's why, and also because portrait is the most difficult thing to do for me when I start. But uh, Maybe if I do portrait first, then the rest is going to be easier for me. It's not exactly that, but... It helped. <laughs> but, and then I was looking for things that really was having people in it. And since I was a kid, it used to, to bother me. And I remember growing up next to the, the favelas. The favelas grow up with me. When I was a kid, my childhood, I was playing outside with the kids from the favela.
2: So what exactly is a favela? So that we understand completely, what is a favela?
1: Favela are communities very poor communities in Brazil. The government doesn't help at all. They get like larger and larger and larger, living in a very dangerous space. It was, environment is very, but if if it runs a lot, the houses go down. It it was sad. It's really sad and a situation that is going worse and worse in Brazil. So I felt as an artist that I could help my way, right? My way of helping is painting it and doing some work with them, right? We have a, a, a non-profit organization also that we go to the favela. I do exhibition with them, with the kids, paint with the kids. You know stuff that I can feel that I'm doing something for them. As I said, I grew up with them. It was right there, right there. So it touched me a lot, and that's why we, I try to do what I can. Of course, me myself alone is not a big thing, but if everyone does. A little.
2: And so, by depicting um, the favelas in in your artwork, it's almost like you're okay. There's it's two parts, right? Like you are, in a sense, you're creating awareness, right? Because it's the content that you're presenting, and it becomes then a conversation piece where you can talk about this and what you're doing in the favelas. So you you mentioned that what you're giving back is that you are painting that. It's almost like you're the painting the story of it.
1: Yeah, I, I wish I wish I hope I can also bring awareness for people. Around us that can help to help to to do something too, and now so because it's complicated now in Brazil, it's so divided, poor and rich, and black and white, and I think the world is going crazy. I think, and if I only could through my art poke the bo- the, bo- the the bubbles and do this interchange thing from the people from the city and the the communities, it would be so wonderful.
2: So I saw that you recently partnered also with several other female artists on a project. What was that project about? And what do you like most about working with other women in the arts?
1: This out of the box project. This project is we do with other women from the Atelier Without Borders, which is the the non-profit organization that we have. Me, Cecilia Tibes, Daniela Berkovici, Fernanda Dabos, we get together and Mm -hmm. we work in projects. And this this one, we were from, I think it's from two years, it's been two years we were working on it. And with the pandemic, 2019, 2020, with the pandemic, I mean, we knew we got to be creative and find out some ideas to to exhibit. So at the beginning, we thought about a project of projecting paintings on the walls of the buildings, but it's too Practically in Miami, I couldn't, we couldn't do at least by the time. So we got in contact with staff of Winwood Walls and we got the pop-up show. It was so beautiful. It was wonderful. It was a whole day in the gardens of Greenwood Walls. It was amazing, amazing. Everything so organized, so safe. Also, everyone was using masks. Everyone that comes out was a mask. It was perfect. It was great. And when you do that, we do the project and we sell artworks. We do a percentage or even there are, there are projects that we do. We do all the money for people for that, those communities in IT, in Brazil, here too. And we'll help how we can. It's amazing. Do this is really, it fulfills us, you know?
2: What's- incredible is that like you were able to put together an event during the pandemic that would be able to bring people together and celebrate in a safe way and also give back to something that you're hugely passionate about. And not only that, but like doing it with other female artists. I mean, it's, this is, it's a huge inspiration and it's amazing to see if you saw yourself 10 years ago, would you have known that you would get to be doing this today? Like you might have known that you would be wanting to do it, But like to then look at look at the trajectory of time and like that's what's so important about telling stories is that like we live in this world where we want things to happen immediately and things don't happen immediately like it takes time and we have to discover we have to do so much soul searching throughout the entirety of our lives to really be able to step in and continue evolving. And to really look at ourselves and say, you know what, this doesn't serve me anymore. And I'm going to let go of this old person that I was so that I can become a better, more like a higher and more authentic version of myself and ultimately be able to serve a higher good, right? When be a, live a life of service and, and fulfillment. I mean, it's, it's so amazing. I, I And it's, it's incredible that this wasn't on the, like any side street of the, of Wynwood. It was in the Wynwood walls. I mean, it's a hugely like... It's Everybody knows about the Wynwood Walls at this point. It's really put Miami artwork on the map. So it must just feel so surreal for you.
1: Yes, absolutely. We, I remember we me and the girls looking at each other. I can't, you. I can't believe you. Is this really happening? And so, you yeah. know, it's wild because like even, you know, Monica,
2: I think about like how you've influenced my life. And like, for example, I know that if I hadn't had that conversation with you that day at your house and just to like go back to that a little bit, because i wanted to talk a little bit about those specifics it's like what i was coming to you with was basically that i had felt like i had lost my sense of identity and you were telling me i can breathe life into my husband and his career and do something for myself that i get to know who i am and what makes me happy you know and it's so crazy because i remember and not this is not too long ago but it's so common in the industry women have to like give up put their heads down and Like live a life that only completely supports their husband, which look, I'm all for women supporting their spouse, like spouses supporting each other. Right. And so I knew that I was going to lose myself if completely, if I didn't do something, you know, and it took years, right? Like that was like maybe four or five years ago that we had had that conversation. And so fast forward, I didn't come up with the no podcast until last year that now this is coming into fruition, you know? And so that conversation, like I will true, honest to God, I will never, ever forget it and how it influenced me to really believe in myself and do something for myself. And I know wholeheartedly that like you, because I've, I've done this for me, I can be a better mother, a better spouse, a better friend. And like just a better person, and and like a person, an advocate in the community. It's just because I'm I'm
1: taking care. I'm filling my cup first. Okay, I'm very happy that I could help you. But first of all, if if you weren't looking, you you ne- I could say anything to you. Never. You had to be looking for yourself. You have to be chasing it. If you wasn't like that, you never listen to me. I'm happy, of course, that I have to to help you. But that's your credit. You know, it's you.
2: You know, I think that's really important. That's something that I want to reiterate to the listeners is like, it's almost like you can't put the power completely in somebody else's hands, right? Like you have to take control of it, of it yourself. And I get that because I can totally see that. Like if you sat me down and said, Nikki, you know, I see you doing this and I think you should be changing it and you really need to be doing something to yourself. But I wasn't asking for your opinion. I wasn't seeking it. You're right. Like it would have, fa- if you you know, you say it, it falls on deaf ears. Like I can't hear you.
1: Yes, you have to be open. You have to be open,
2: looking for it. You have to be looking for yourself in order to find yourself. Absolutely, yes. So, Monica, what's next for you?
1: Oh, so many things, Nikki. (laughs) I have uh, the two major projects that I have now. I'm working on it. One is, well, because I don't know if you knew knew the one that I did, the Catope. It was right when the pandemic began. Catopé is a folklore from Brazil, and for my state, it's from north of Minas Gerais, and it, it tells about the three ethnicities, the blacks, the whites, and the Indians, all together. The four a, cult, a culture, and that's what Brazilians are. And I try to bring it up so the people can see it, and instead of fighting all the time and dividing people and understand that we are one. That is in, my, in me, is black and it's Indian and it's everything. That's what we are. So we have to, to bring the, I want to bring the, the, this Brazilian culture to the world so they can see it. I think it is important. It's my, it's my root. So I want to bring it up.
2: So there's two questions I want to ask. If you could talk to your seven-year-old self, the one who was living in Brazil with her mother, who was suffering from depression, if you could tell 7-year-old Monica what would you want her to know about the woman that you are today? That I'm free now. <laughs> it really makes me sentimental because like you bring so much hope. Like your story really does bring so much hope to people. It's like if you can do it in your if you can reinvent yourself in your 50s, like it's never too late.
1: It was never late ever.
2: Okay. And so my last question for you, Monica, is what advice would you like to give to other mothers who are looking to make careers out of their passion?
1: Let the world be the one to say no to you, not you. You don't want to be the one to say no to yourself. When you're not looking, We are saying no to yourself.
2: Don't be the one to say no to yourself.
1: Yeah, exactly. This is believing. So, you have to, so if you believe in yourself, the world, the entire world can, can say no to you. It doesn't matter. You're going to do it anyways. I'm so
2: grateful that, that you're an important figure in my life and that you are here to share your journey with our listeners. And so, where can we find you on Instagram?
1: Instagram, uh, it's uh, Monica Mendes Artista with an A.
2: <laughs> and your website?
1: MonicaMendesArt.com. Awesome.
2: Thank you so much. I love you. And I'm so
1: grateful for you. Thank you, Nika. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening
0: to The Know. I hope you'll join me again soon. If you loved my podcast, it would mean the world to me if you left a review. You can connect with me personally via Instagram at Spo, And be sure to check out my website, NikkiSpo.com.